Good day, everybody. Thank you for coming to another episode of Send It ATV podcast. Today, I have a great guest out of um, Idaho, just trying to see about what's going on in that part of the woods, if you will. Um, he is very active in his club. Uh, it's the Public Lands Access Year-Round uh, Club uh, play for short. Uh, they really have a lot going on. They're very um, active in, you know, conservation and sustaining the, you know, the off-highway vehicle sport for everyone. Um, so today I want to welcome Mr. Alex Irby. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm glad you could hear. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, meet with us today and uh, tell your story. Okay. Uh, I appreciate everything you're doing. I really do. Um, you know, I just, I can't wait for everyone to hear what all you have going on. Um, uh, you know, tell me how long has the club been around? It, uh, we started in 99 okay. and been active ever since. We have a population. We, when we originally started, uh, our, our membership was 300 plus. It stabilized over the years to around 100 plus or minus mm -hmm. on a given year. A lot of additional support, but those are dues-paying members. So, okay, um, great. Uh, what would you see happening over the next uh, season or so? What would you like to see happen? Well, we always are expanding. What we're always hoping for is additional participation with the Forest Service. That's primarily who we work with uh, on mm -hmm. federal lands. And in our state, uh, the federal lands are quite large, um, mm -hmm. percentage-wise, quite large, over 50%. So, wow. And in our area, even higher than that. So uh, basically, the wilderness areas in the lower 48 primarily is within certainly driving distance of us within a day or less. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the first wilderness in Idaho is just next door to us. And then we added uh, the Selway Bitterroot in the Frank Church and then the Gospel Hump. So we've added a lot of wilderness area in our area. And, uh, and certainly that's acceptable. Um, but we, from the motorized recreation vicinity uh, prefer uh, working with Forest Service and maintaining trails, helping build trails, mm -hmm. and then uh, working hand-in-hand -hand with Forest Service. As their budgets decline, they have less like activity on the land, so we're certainly there to work with them. Right. Absolutely. Um, what, uh, just kind of going off a little bit, just uh, how often do you guys have work weekends or like participations or how do people get involved typically? So um, it's interesting. Uh, we, our organization is made up with a president and two vice presidents, mm -hmm. a secretary and a treasurer. And then a board of directors, and overall there's uh, 11 members. And um, so we 
schedule ourselves every year for rides. We have an annual rally ride in June, the end of June, and it's at a place called Camp 60. And Camp 60 was a logging camp that Potlatch Corporation had, or back in those days it was uh, Potlatch Forest Incorporated. I thought I forgot for a moment. <laughs> anyway, uh, and it was a 200-man camp. And quite frankly, my background in that area was in 1959, I went to work for the Clearwater Potlatch Timber Protective Association fighting fire. And the biggest fire, and then I spent 26 seasons with them fighting fire. And that's where it started though, because we had three or four fires burned together out in that region, it was the biggest fire of the year and by far the biggest fire in the 26 years I was there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very familiar with the area uh, in my course of working for the CPTPA. And when I actually started was the CTPA before they formed with the PTPA. And um, so I was uh, forest warden of Bertha Hill. It's uh, a historical lookout site uh, registered in uh, uh, historical volumes as the first lookout in the United States for the purposes of spotting forest fires. Very okay. fortunate we had a camp just below the lookout and I had up to a 20 man crew. And so with that background, and then uh, after my years of fighting fire, I become a resource manager for a, a small lumber company. So having said this, this area that we wanted to establish some trails in was very familiar to me as one of the two authors who started the club. And um, so we set ourselves up and we schedule every year work parties and writing parties with uh, people cheering each of those. Our work parties always established the trails that we've adopted with Forest Service. Mm -hmm. And we now have four trails that we've adopted with the Forest Service, the Sheep Mountain Trail, which is out, is out of Camp 60. Um, and it's close to 40 miles long, it's 36, I think, long. The Deception Trail, which is in on the upper North Fork, and it's 28 miles long. The uh, Salmon Creek Trail, and it's 20 miles long. And then the um, I guess it would be the Clark Mountain Trail, part of the Clark Mountain Trail, and it is uh, about 15 miles. And then we try to work in harmony with other clubs like the Lewis and Clark Club out of Lewiston, Idaho and Clarkston, Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, our trails uh, emulate together. So. so we will work at, as long as it takes each year on each trail and clearing the debris. There, it's a heavy forested area. Mm -hmm. so we have windfalls across the trees that we have to saw out rocks, of course, to take out and uh, brushing. The brush grows faster, our 
precip is annually in that area between 35 and 50 inches. So it's according wow. to where we're at. So we get a lot of growth. And um, that's what we do is just maintain. And if there's washouts and things, then we repair those. Mm-hmm. And uh, on our riding, we try to ride at least once a year in those trails. Our club does. And we always invite outsiders. And so continually we'll have uh, fairly large rides. As an example, last year I had a ride in September out of Elk River, which is part of our system, GM Trail system. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had 64 riders, <laughs> which is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah. I right. mean, uh, but last year was different because of the, the virus that we had going through. People headed outside. We had campers that we'd never seen before. And, so, <laughs> and now they love it. Oh. And you can't hardly buy four-wheelers out in our country now uh, because of the demand. And uh, it's uh, really something. So people found the outdoors starting last year. Yeah, the uh, with the pandemic, you know, it just uh, really opened people's eyes to other opportunities to do things. And um, little secret, the vehicle shortage across the nation is just nuts. Like I am in the process, I'm on a waiting list for two units and it's I'm waiting six weeks. And one of them was like, it's a hope and a prayer if you get it. And I finally got a confirmation on it. So it's just the demand is so high because everybody wants to do it and so forth. And um, so it's, uh, but it's good. People are getting out. And uh, but really what I want to make sure people understand is that, uh, you know, people are getting out and they're also getting involved and helping out. Because like yourself, you put in so many hours of putting stuff together and working on it. If we could get more people to get involved and participate and even just give one uh, weekend or just even one day a year, uh, that would be a huge amount of uh, moving in the right direction. That's correct. And um, we do a lot of our our, uh, project work on the trails during the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of hurts those that are working because we have a lot of retirees. Right. And, uh, yeah. And uh, it really is a magnet in drawing retirees uh, mm-hmm. to our clubs, uh, whether SARS or another club. Um, many people are moving to Idaho and have over the last few years. Uh, but here in the last year, they're really moving to Idaho. And, uh, but many of them have been coming anyway when they retire and wherever they're from, be it California or Ohio or uh, wherever it's from. And the reason for that normally, not always, but normally, is the fact that those fellows hunted out in our region. We had the largest, well, one of the two largest elk herds in the world at one time here in the Clearwater Basin. Hmm. After our gigantic fires in 1910 and, and numerous fires after that. And so consequently, the population really grew and people began to, this was their point source for hunting. And 
they like it so well that they con their wives and families into moving out here for them. And so uh, that's the type of folks we have. And we have a lot of law enforcement retired officers that moved to our area because of what I just said. Right. Yeah. That's great. And they all like to work. So, yeah. They want to get out there and be busy and be active and, you know, get that camaraderie of just working on a common cause of doing good for conservation and everything else. So, so, um, Alex, why don't you share with us right now uh, one of your favorite uh, four-wheeling or off-road uh, stories or uh, something may have happened that's really funny to you that still makes you laugh to this day um, with us all, if you would. Well, I guess one of them, uh, we have a ride we do every year called the Kirkwood Ride. And we live on the Clearwater River. And to get to Kirkwood, you have to go down across the Clearwater, the Salmon River, and then eventually you end up on the Snake River. These are all very large rivers. And it wasn't very funny for me, but for everybody else afterwards, it turned out to be funny. Um, We hit quite a bit of snow on the higher elevation, and it was turning to rain as we dropped down into the Snake River. And it's an old Jeep road, we call them Jeep roads here. Mm-hmm. And it was built uh, very steep, very crooked, going into the basin. And in the process, it was raining hard, raining hard, and very slick on the road, which is rutted. So I pulled out onto the grass beside the road, and I suspect everybody said I was going too fast. And I hit a solid rock. The machine stopped and I didn't. But I did have my helmet on. <laughs> I was Superman just for quite a ways. <laughs> Plowed up the, the sod. And everybody got quite a chuckle out of that. Another trip into that same area, a different trip, with my hunting buddies. I hunted with a group of fellows for or eight of us at the end four of us that started it but anyway we hunted together 40 years same hunting area and they wanted to go in so we took off and were, actually there was still quite a bit of snow over the top of the mountain between the salmon and snake river and in the process of going up over uh, it was quite you had to be very careful so you didn't get stuck we finally made it through it and one of the guys started bitching and hollering at me that, uh, oh, I can't remember. What was the name of the stranded party going up over in the California? They, it was a wagon train during the early land days. Uh, anyway, he started hollering that I'd let him in. <laughs> we were going to perish because <laughs> I did. Each and every trip's its own fun, and there's always something good to remember about it. I've got a long, two long trips that we make every year. We started with the first one last year. Mm-hmm. It starts at a place called Clarkia, Idaho, which is north of our north central Idaho, and winds around, and uh, it's part of the Jim Trail, which we designed 
which is 132 miles long. It starts at Elk City and goes all the way through to Avery. And it touches into Clearwater and Cooskey, Weipe and Pierce and Elk River and eventually Avery. So anyway, we rode last year and that was a long ride, uh, better than 100 miles. And But it goes through some of the most picturesque scenery you've ever seen. And uh, we hit snow because it was high elevation. And mm -hmm. on the CC roads, there's part of the trail that we use. And, uh, and, then, and then drop into Avery, which was uh, mining and timber facilities. You go through tunnels to get there. So it's interesting, right? The other one, after we work on the Deception Trail each year, we uh, go into Montana. So we go over the hill from where we camp in Idaho. Into Montana, we're on three national forests before we finish. We go into Montana on the Lolo National Forest from the Clearwater and through some mining districts, once historic, over the top of the hill into past Lake Missoula into the Panhandle Forest in the headwaters of the St. Joe which eventually gets into the lakes uh, around Court Lane. And, uh, and then we go back into the Clearwater. So, and, but there's always humorous things that happen. Oh, of course. One of the most humorous things, yeah, on that <laughs> trip was my buddy, Big Dave Gallantomini. He's a big fellow. He's six foot seven or eight and weighs 300 plus pounds, um, quite a bit plus. Anyways, four-wheeler wouldn't work, so another guy loaned him a four-wheeler, mm -hmm. and I was ahead of the group leading then, so we stopped to wait uh, near Lake Missoula, and um, a person came and caught us and said, oh, you got to come back. Dave's machines broke down, so we went back, and the borrowed machine, the whole wheel, axle, and all had come out. And so there he was, and long ways, and so we left him there. <laughs> so we were going to go up to Lake Missoula, <laughs> which is over 6,000 feet, and we thought we could get out with a cell phone, and we could, and we got a hold of one of the gal's husband, who was in Superior, Montana, at the time, getting some stuff. And so, and another fellow that was supposed to rode with us, was waiting there. He'd come back the backwards way. I'm still shocked he didn't get lost, but anyway, met us there, and we went on through. As we pulled into camp, here was Big Dave in camp. Now, and I said, Mike, you picked up Big Dave? No. No, he was here when I got back. <laughs> and a lady had come by and asked directions up to Lake Missoula when we were parked working with Dave and gave her the direction and she had a real nice pickup and a couple little dogs in there. Anyway, long story short, she went up, decided not to go in the trail, come back and saw Big Dave sitting there and asked him if she could go into town and get whatever he needed. And he said, Finally, she said, well, I can take you back to camp, apparently. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was able to put the machine enough together to push it into a bank and into the back of the pickup. And 
That's all they got back. <laughs> that may be the most humorous story we've ever had was Big Dave and how he got stranded, but yet he still made it back before we did. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, before we wrap up, the, let's talk about what you think some of the biggest challenges are coming up this next season with, you know, the increase of the popularity of the sport and, and so forth. What are some things that you'd like to see people uh, work on and improve? The, uh, <clears throat> I belong to an organization called the Clearwater Basin Collaborative. And we've been uh, very instrumental in working with the Forest Service for directly for the last 12 or 13 years. And uh, consequently, uh, for years in our area, the Forest Service were having problems with uh, lack of partnership, pretend partnership, but uh, more, they spent more time, more money, and legal difficulties than anything else. So that's why we started the organization. And a good many of the folks in this organization, like myself, are members of play or other. So we work hand in hand with forces. And I think what I'd like to see in the future is just a continuation of the cooperation on work parties and taking care of actually the public lands are our lands. They really are lands. People forget that because they're led by somebody. But consequently, they are our lands. And since they are our lands, being a public participation should be recognized and should be willing to do that. So participation from the public, uh, whether it's on uh, motorized recreation, we also work very strongly with uh, non-Morgan motorized recreation. So we have both in our area, great mm -hmm. deal of and uh, we continue to do that. We do both winter and summer recreation, but continued participation in that, uh, recognizing that it is part of our heritage, actually. And mm -hmm. consequently, we should, I think, look forward to spending as much or more time as we can working with the various landowners and making sure that, number one, we do take care of the land, and that's why play actually started one of the reasons. Potlatch is a very large logging organization. Mm -hmm. uh, biggest landowner, uh, largest landowner in the state of Idaho. Uh, but we saw a lot of abuse on the ground. So one of the reasons we started was to try and help them in policing that. Right. And so consequently, that's helped over time. And uh, by having these designated trails, if you build something for people, they'll come. <laughs> so consequently, that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what I'd like to see in the future. Very good. Maintain continuation. If uh, people wanted to get out and uh, get connected with you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you and um, get involved? Could you ask that again? My other telephone. What That's fine. Uh, if people wanted to uh, reach out to you and get involved, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably through emails, but uh, certainly my telephone is always available too. 
Okay. So either way would be fine. And I think you have both. Uh, would right. you want me to give those now? Well, I'll, uh, I'll post the email in the link uh, below the description here. So that way they can actually just click there and uh, reach out to you there and basically start getting involved and figure out how they can help you. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Alex, sir, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate the stories. And uh, I know you have a lot of uh, wisdom from all your experiences and the conservation of the land there in Idaho. And I appreciate all that you do. And uh, thank you for uh, um, putting up the good fight and keep leading this. And hopefully someone will come along and uh, start backing you up the way you need to be. Thank you again. You're very welcome. Yes.